Welcome to the High Fidelity Podcast. I am your host, Bridget Connery, coming to you from the dialed studio at Hula on the shores of beautiful Lake Champlain in Burlington, Vermont. Today, we are speaking with Emma Merritt, Director of Product Development for Crea Botanicals in South Burlington, Vermont. We'll discuss Crea's position in the industry as a contract manufacturer for both CBD and THC brands, and how Emma's background as an herbalist informs her work. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm excited to be hosting Emma Merritt in the studio today. Emma's background is in herbal formulation and clinical herbalism. Before joining the team at CREA, she was a staff herbalist at Rail Yard Apothecary, a worker-owned herbal cooperative based in Burlington, Vermont. Emma, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, you bet. And we're going to do a first here. This is going to be the first in-studio high five right All there. Right. <laughs> um, from one herbalist to another. Yes. You know, I think that that is something that is quite unique in this industry, mm. actually. I don't see it very often where herbalists are actually in charge of product development and formulation for cannabis companies. So... Hmm. It's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here because it is a unique perspective and I think it's a perspective that hopefully we're going to see more and more because this is plant-based medicine after all. So let's start with what got you on the path to working with plants in the first place? A little bit of your background. Oh, yeah. So working with plants in general, I became interested in herbalism when I was in college studying anthropology and the philosophy of science. And so I, also being a lifelong nature lover, Mm. I came to it from a fairly philosophical perspective and, you know, studying philosophy of science and how our worldview through the scientific lens has shifted over time and that nothing is set in stone. Science and Scientific theory is constantly changing. Yeah. And learning through medical anthropology more about the history of medicine and how relatively new the science we use in medicine is today. And then, you know, learning that there's all these traditional forms of medicine rooted in the earth that are really about encouraging true healing mm-hmm. and keeping the body healthy, not just taking care of disease as it shows up. And so I just, I started getting really curious about what this whole herbalism thing was. Yeah. And So who were your first teachers? Uh, so the first, I guess, probably I would have to say Rosemary Gladstar oh, because yeah. I took her correspondence course. Nice. And back then it was still a paper binder that mm-hmm. you got in the mail. <laughs> yeah, not you online. you would handwrite your assignments <laughs> yeah. and send them in. Yes. And they would grade them and send them back yeah. to you. Old school. Uh, yeah, old school. And so I, the summer after I discovered herbalism, I did her correspondence course. And then my dad actually called her up <laughs> to ask <laughs> if she was taking students. Oh, wow. Um, and she said she wasn't at the time, but we should check out 
this brand new school that had just opened in Montpelier called the Vermont Center for Integrative Herbalism. Right. And so I got connected with them through her and moved up to Vermont two weeks after I graduated and started studying herbal medicine in oh, Montpelier, yeah. Vermont. That's great. You know, I, I forget that they're there. I don't know why that is, but I think it's one of the reasons why we have so many talented herbalists, whether they're practicing for themselves or community herbalists or more clinical herbalists is because we have the VCIH right there in Montpelier. You know, a lot of great people come out of that school. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I've worked with many of them over the years, including one of my former teachers, Guido Maze. Yeah. We worked together at Railyard Apothecary and that school has created such a vibrant community of herbalists in Vermont. Definitely. And so you went to work at Railyard after yes. that as a staff member owner, because it's a cooperative. And so when was that? How long were you there? And, and then what made you make the jump from there to Korea? Yeah, so I started out at Railyard actually in the clinical side, which at the time was called Burlington Herb Clinic. And I got connected with Guido and Catherine Elmer towards the end of 2015. And they told me that they had this idea and they were going to start a clinic. And I was living in Burlington and seeing clients basically just out of my apartment yeah. at the time. Just a small practice. Yeah. And a lot of us start at home. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's how you do it. You know, you just you grow as, you know, organically over time. And so that felt like the next step for me in my career, in my herbal practice was to join them. And so there were about six herbalists who started with Burlington Herb Clinic, and I was one of them. We opened up in 2016, and the rail yard apothecary side of the business grew from there. Hmm. And it's a probably a longer story than we want to get yeah, into. Yeah, that's all right, right but, now, it's a good, but it's a good base. And so while you were yeah. there, you were helping with formulation of the products that eventually went into the apothecary, and you also were seeing clients and trying to help them with their self-care. Exactly. Cool. Yep. And so hemp came along yeah. as a, an opportunity in Vermont in 2018. How soon after did you decide to move into that space, and, and why did you do it? Yeah, great question. So it's with a not-so-simple answer. So in 2018, I was still fully involved with Railyard, and we got connected with a couple growers in Vermont who started growing hemp and we began selling hemp flour mm -hmm. in the shop alongside all the other herbs. Yeah, yeah. Which was such a cool thing. Like that it, that was like a very it's looking back on it like it's it feels so normalized now, but at the time that was such a huge step Definitely. to have the cannabis plant even in its low low THC form on the shelf with the other herbs. Like that's, I feel like that's like the, the dream of herbalists is for the cannabis plant to be reincorporated into the herbal apothecary. Absolutely. So that was a huge moment when that happened. Yeah. And I think for the next few years, I really saw cannabis and hemp and CBD in that way, just as a minor player in the broader context of herbalism. And I did start to see how much it could help people. We started carrying a couple different Vermont-made CBD products, and I saw what relief they brought to people for 
so many different types of conditions that they hadn't gotten the same type of relief from other herbs for. So that was pretty cool to see. And then my career took a different turn and I decided to leave Railyard to do more freelance work. And I had gotten much more into product development and developing recipes. For clients. For clients and also for businesses and doing beverages and herbal liqueurs and cocktails and that kind of thing. And just lots of different types of herbal formulations, both commercially and for clients. So I had decided to leave. And then a friend of mine who was connected to Kriya found out I was leaving Railyard. And she asked me, would you be interested in part-time lab work? And I thought, well, that's really interesting. I hadn't really (laughs) thought about doing that. But I do love the science and chemistry of herbalism and it would be so cool to work in a CBD lab. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just, it was this moment where it was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that before, but that does feel like it would be a really good fit. Yeah. And so she, this friend, introduced me to Kriya and to Dan Chang and Bill Lofi, who are the two owners. Mm -hmm. And I loved what they had to say about cannabis. I loved how they had positioned themselves in the market and their vision of supporting Vermont agriculture, which is also parallel to what Railyard was doing, was supporting Vermont herb farmers. And so it just, it felt like a really good fit. And so it was almost by accident that I, or by just by... It was by invitation, which is always nice. Yeah. (laughs) It was very serendipitous. And it was just the right time, right place that I ended up there and just really dove into it. So give us a little bit of background on Kriya. I mean, they are a contract manufacturer and they started on the hemp side. That means that they started extracting for people and helping with formulation, creation of products. And so... You started there, and they did that on the CBD side for four years? Four years, since yeah. 2018 at least. They might have started a little before that. They, I think they were anticipating the The, the adult trend. use market to come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely 2018 was when they launched because that's when the farm bill was. So you stepped into a lab position there, and what was yeah. your first role? So my first role was basically formulator, so making the products in the lab based on recipes that already existed. And then I very quickly moved into working with their customers to develop new recipes using more herbs. Right. And were you, was Kriya also, were they outsourcing those other botanicals or does Kriya actually extract other botanicals in-house or do they do both? Yeah, so they mostly outsource other botanicals. As much as possible is sourced from Vermont farms mm-hmm. and Vermont herb growers. Right. But they, they don't do any true extraction in-house. Gotcha. So we have, there's a CO2 extraction machine and we also do ethanol extraction. But for other herbs, we're either buying CO2 extracts mm-hmm. or infusing them directly into whatever carrier oil we're using for the product. Right. Got it. And so they were able to establish themselves and kind of learn the ropes on that side, which is what a lot of people did on the hemp side, anticipating 
the adult use market to come into Vermont. And so that time has come and you transitioned with them. How did your mm -hmm. role develop over that time? Has it changed or not? And has it changed based on what the market has been asking for? Mm. Um, what is the perspective on that? Yeah, so I'm still doing a lot of the product development, especially for tinctures, which, you know, in this case is oil-based right. drops, basically. Right. <laughs> One of my pet peeves, yeah, you know, because in the herbal too. world, tinctures are always <laughs> alcohol-based. But me too. for whatever yeah. reason, the cannabis industry chose that word to talk about sublinguals, and they're almost always oil-based because That's a right. lot of times markets don't allow them to be in alcohol, actually, because they won't let the two mix. That's right. But Vermont actually has allowed alcohol-based products, which is I've actually kind of nice. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, and part of the reason, not to get too off track, but part of the reason that Korea has chosen to stick with oil is because it's easier, it's more streamlined, mm -hmm. there aren't as many safety concerns, in some ways it's more gentle. Right. Uh, so I, I see the advantages, and I think after two years of working with oil-based tinctures, I'm finally starting to feel comfortable with calling them tinctures. Right. Like it's become just, I'm immersed in it. Like it's just the part of the culture of the right. cannabis industry. Right. So Definitely. I've learned to accept it. <laughs> so as the head of product formulation for Korea, what I'd like to do, because there's, there's so many facets to it and there's so many different products that you're actually helping people make. So do you want to kind of talk about first what those services are that you're offering folks right now. And then I'd like to kind of get into what are some of the tools that you get to work with in order to help formulate the products that people are asking for. Yeah. So still doing most of the product development on the tincture side. Mm -hmm. And the THC market has definitely shifted more into edibles. Right. And so that's become a much larger part of our business. And Korea has also developed a gummy program that's quite robust at this point. Right. After, gosh, almost a year of R&D and figuring out systems and buying equipment and learning SOPs and just, you know, really nailing down a solid recipe. Yeah. And so that has become a big part of our production. And so because of that, there's less of the herbal formulation. You know, most of the gummies are fruit flavored. Right. And so we're not doing as much yet with all of the other botanicals. And so I've actually moved more into doing project management for that. For edibles, particularly. For edibles and just for everything overall, because I understand the, the flow of how everything gets manufactured. And right. so I've been helping out with that in yes. addition to doing the R&D, just because that's where more of the need is right now. Yeah. But I hope to go back to, and I know I will, go back to doing more of the herbal formulation over time It was as we get our systems established. Right. Yeah, gummies are in demand. They <laughs> <know>? are. <laughs> I mean, um, and not, as, as you said, there's a lot of R&D that goes into actually being able to make them at scale and make them consistently. And now that we have different extracts and things to work with, we can create some choice there. And so it mm -hmm. makes sense that, that the gummy program is in full swing and demand here yeah. in Vermont. So Yeah, for sure. So you do extracts mm -hmm. for people. So you will work with a brand that maybe is growing their own cannabis and they want it extracted so that they can make their own products. Yep. You are buying biomass from people just mm -hmm. to have 
extracts to sell to a company that's just a manufacturer that's looking for an extract for their brand. You will also do it from start to finish, right? I mean, companies might come to you and say, hey, I want to be a brand, but I actually don't want to touch the product. Mm -hmm. Are you accepting those kinds of clients uh, where you do it from from A to Z? Yeah. Yeah, we basically have the capability to create a product from start to finish, as you said. So someone can basically come to us with an idea and we'll turn it into a product in the finished packaging and guide people through that process. Great. Yeah. And so what tends to be, I mean, it sounds like gummies is like the number one item that you're working on right now, but you also, you package flour, you make Mm pre-rolls. We make rosin and hash, vape cartridges. Sublinguals, capsules, I think I saw on your website. Yes. But gummies and maybe vape? are the most in demand right now or not so much because of the vape tax? Yeah, not so much vapes yet, but I think eventually they will be definitely up there. Right now it's mostly gummies and tinctures. Right. And so let's talk about some of the tools that you have to work with when you're trying to formulate those products. We have a lot of new listeners on this show who might not understand what the difference is between some of the extracts that your company is making and that you're using to formulate. Mm -hmm. And so... Primarily, what are you using right now for those extracts, and why would you use one over another, depending on the product you're looking to make? Yeah, so it's interesting. There's been a shift in the type of extract we use for the CBD market versus THC. And so for most of our CBD customers, we use CO2 extracted hemp. And the CO2 extract is still one of my favorite forms to work with because we use subcritical Mm -hmm. CO2. And so it's very gentle and really just washes the outside of the hemp. And so you're getting all of the trichomes off without breaking down the cell wall and getting some of those heavier constituents out like chlorophyll and sugars and lipids. So you end up with like a really clean product And I think it works really, really well for tinctures and when you want that just really light hemp flavor. Not that bitterness that you tend to get in a lot of hemp products. Yeah. So the subcritical allows you to do that. Well, it preserves terpenes, though. Yep. Yep. So we actually do, we take out the terpenes first and using the CO2 extraction. And then we decarb the hemp and do another run to get the cannabinoids. So, yeah, that's another cool thing about it, too, is that you get the terpenes as well. So you get the full profile of the input, basically. Right. Or a a fuller profile. A fuller profile, (laughs) Right. There's still a lot that we don't know and we can't capture or really understanding what's involved with that full entourage effect. Oh, for sure. So CO2 was the primary one in in CBD. Yes. But you said that you're transitioning in the THC side to... Right. Solventless? Yeah, yeah, basically. So live rosin is definitely the the hot extract that everybody wants. Yeah. And why do you think that is? What's what's your take on that? I mean, it's pretty magical. The process is very clean. So you're basically using ice as a like mechanical extraction method. So you're like knocking the trichomes off of fresh frozen flour with ice and then dehydrating that and collecting it and then decarbing it a little bit and removing 
the hull of the trichome from the oil that's extracted. But there's water is sort of the solvent, but it's not actually acting as a solvent. It's just more of like a physical separation. Separation, yeah. yeah. And so you end up with a product that is just like very bright and enlivening. It smells like fresh cannabis. Right. Yeah, it's preserving the terpenes again. It's preserving the terpenes, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it in my experience with taking products that are made with live rosin, they just feel very clean and bright hmm. and they taste that way too. And you can also do the other advantages that you can do strain specific extracts. So it feels very precious. Right. You know, you have like one strain that's just like beautiful flowers. You flash freeze it and then turn it into the extract and it you just end up with this really pure product. Right. Do you think that that, that carries over into all product lines? Like are there certain product lines where live rosin makes more sense? I mean, I'm seeing it a lot in gummies now. Right. And I know as a consumer that I can generally taste the difference mm -hmm. between a gummy that has been made with, say, a distillate or a distillate and isolate combination mm -hmm. than one that is made with live rosin. And that's, again, because I think the terpenes are present. Mm. But when it's in the format of a gummy, do you, in your professional opinion, and I know, I don't know if there's much science out there, do you think that the, the therapeutic benefits translate in a gummy in comparison to having a live rosin vape cart, where it's mm. not kind of going through your digestion, but you're kind of absorbing it through your lungs. Mm. What do you think the difference is there? Because I, I see that now. There's so many companies that are moving to live rosin gummies. Right. And I wonder how much does it really affect what the consumer feels? Mm. Or is it more the pleasure of eating it for those people who actually really like the flavor of cannabis and want to be connected to the plant in that way? What do you think? Mm. Yeah, I I think that it does make a difference. Yeah. Just at least for the reason that you already stated, which is that it has the terpenes in it and right. you're not getting that with distillate. Right. And I think I mean, this is my unscientific professional opinion. <laughs> yes. That there's, I think there's some, like I already used the word magical, but I think there's something about having the the energy of a freshly frozen plant and making medicine out of that that's different than sending it through an ethanol wash and then recovering the ethanol and then using a distillation machine to take the rest of the constituents out to isolate the cannabinoids. Right. I think it's much more processed. And we know that with food, too. The less processed something is, the more basically life force it has, mm -hmm. the more vitality it has. And I think that that is part of what makes the difference in live rosin versus distillate. Versus distillate. I don't know if you can quantify that or study it. Yeah, or I mean, I don't think we have that science yet, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm always curious about it from a plant-based perspective, too. Like, what is the customer actually getting at the end? And I don't right. think most companies are doing terpene testing on a gummy finished product to see how right. many of the terpenes actually transferred from the extract to the gummy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can taste it, but... Nobody's making any claims about the therapeutic benefit or quantifying how much are in there. It's more just saying, hey, we're using a lot of rosin and this is what this product is all about, but yeah. not giving any 
claims that it's going to do X, Y, or Z. Totally. Yeah, it's kind of like a if-you-know-you-know situation. Right. Right. I mean, before live rosin, we didn't do live rosin in the medical market just because of resources and things Mm -hmm. like that. But that was one of the conversations that we used to have with people on edibles was like, hey, can you categorize an edible as being indica, sativa, or hybrid? You know, I know that the industry is moving away from that terminology, at least in some brands are, because like, do they really matter anymore? Or should we be talking more about mood states or things like that, just because the genetics are all kind of mixed? And I think in edibles in particular, because if they're made with a distillate, say, you know, Mm -hmm. basically you're formulating with the cannabinoid, you're not really formulating with the plant, you kind of lose that strain specificity or that cultivar specificity that you were referencing earlier. Right. And so, you know, I've always kind of thought of those like, those distillate products as being not really indica sativa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's like you're getting THC and it's going right. to depend on how your body actually processes it. Right. As to whether it's actually going to be uplifting or stimulating versus sedating. You know, right. those are the effects that you're looking for. And so it's possible that rosin products, because they are less processed and they're mm-hmm. solventless and they're, and they're trying to capture more of the full chemical profile of the plant that we're retaining some of that. Yeah. I but, but no lab agree. data. <laughs> no lab data. <laughs> right. Not yet. But yeah, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I think with distillate, you're, you're getting some variability based on the input because you're still getting the minor cannabinoids. So right. in my limited experience with the extractions we've done with different strains or strain blends, I have seen that, quote-unquote, air quotes, indica blends have more CBD in them. Hmm. And I don't know if that's true across the board or if that's just, you know, anecdotal evidence that may may not be totally valid. But the minor cannabinoids are there. But, yeah, I think that that's right. Overall, it's you can't really, once they're in that distilled state and it becomes basically like a forget exactly what you said, but it's basically just cannabinoids. Right. Then for the most yeah. part. It's not strain specific, certainly, and it's you can't really classify it as indica or sativa. So how do you go about at Korea formulating with different cannabinoids? You know, I mean I've seen products out there on the market that are like one to one C B D to THC or they're one to one to one or two to one to one. They might have C B G in there. How do you go about making those? Yeah. We're usually extracting for specific cannabinoids in the extract based on how the flower was grown. And so we have farmers who will breed hemp for its CBG content, and then we'll extract that. Or, you know, we have CBD flower, obviously high in CBD. And then when you are making a product that you want to have equal parts or a certain ratio that's the same every time, you're basically pulling two or three different extracts and putting them together that each have a higher concentration of one of the target cannabinoids. Right. And so say you were doing a CBD, CBG, one-to-one product, you take both extracts, but then they each, because they're full spectrum, they each have other cannabinoids in them. So right. the CBD extract's going to have CBG in it. 
CBG extract's going to have CBD in it. And so you have to do a little bit of algebra. Right. <laughs> it's always a lot of math yeah. and formulation. Yeah. <laughs> so no isolates. Uh, Korea's we, not working with isolates. or We do very occasionally. So we have a couple of products that are very high in CBD, 3,000 milligrams per ounce. So that would be like 100 milligrams per dose, right. basically. And what you often run into if you're using a full-spectrum extract is that the THC gets too high for CBD products, for hemp products, it has to be below 0.3%. And so we'll use isolate in that case just to make sure that it's not hot. Exactly. It doesn't have too much THC in it. And we also use isolate for CBN, which we haven't yet developed a process for extracting with any of our methods. Right. So we use CBN isolate and... Which comes from hemp. Most of the isolates yes. for the minor cannabinoids are coming from the hemp. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's much easier to work with. It's also some of the acid forms of the cannabinoids. So if we're using CBGA or CBDA in a product, we'll use an isolate. Now, why would you put one of those in a product, just out of curiosity? What's the, what's the thinking there on the acidic compounds? Yeah, I think that they have some research to show that they're anti-inflammatory. There was basically like a journal article published about CBDA and CBGA being supportive for immunity against COVID. Gotcha. And so there was a big rise, there was a big increase in interest in those acid forms of the cannabinoids. Right. So we we having clients on the CBD side mm -hmm. inquiring about putting those into formulation for the most part, but not really on the THC side right now. Not on the THC side, no. Yeah. No. Yeah, um, not there yet. Not there yet. But yeah, it's it's interesting because they're acids, and so they have quite a strong flavor. Gotcha. So they've been interesting to formulate with. Hmm. But we did develop a method for extracting CBDA with the CO2 extractor, mm -hmm. which was pretty cool to see. Nice. And what I've heard is that they're a little bit less shelf stable. I yes. don't know if that's the case, but yeah. so I don't know what that means for formulation for you or even for like putting a best buy date on a product. Is it different when you're working with acids? Yeah. Uh, so they, you know, the CBDA and CBGA and all the other ones are the precursors to the active cannabinoids. And so they kind of want to turn into the active cannabinoids. And so when, especially when you have a liquid extract, like we would get the CBDA from the CO2 extraction method, it's solid at room temperature. Like you have to heat it to formulate with it. Yeah. And heating it above a certain temperature converts it into CBDA. So right. it's, or sorry, converts CBD. it into CBD. So it's not entirely stable. So that definitely poses a challenge when you're formulating. Even using the isolate, like I remember when I first started using CBGA isolate, again, it has to be melted into the carrier oil. And I left it on a hot plate and forgot about it. I came back and it just, it was like it had turned into vinegar. Like oh. it was just like, <laughs> it's just completely gone. You can't set it and forget it. <laughs> no, no. So, I mean, you know, it's, if you understand, like, what it is and what you're doing with it, it's not super challenging to work with. But right. that was definitely interesting to add into the mix. Right. It's not something that we work with super often, but it's definitely out there. And I think some people have found benefit from it. Right. So. <laughs> I'm kind of a equal opportunity 
person when it comes to cannabinoids and the form that they're in. Mm. I know that there's a lot of chatter out there about what the best kind of extract is. Mm. Uh, and there's you know people who swear, like, hey, you should never use isolates. Distillate is no good. We should only be using solventless because they're closer to the original form. And And I get all that. You know, Mm. I understand that. But I also think that we're all different and we're all approaching cannabis from a different place. Mm. Some people can't have any THC Mm. in their product. They're looking for a hemp product for whatever reason. So they have to use a broad spectrum or an isolate product. And if it works for them, awesome. Mm. (laughs) You know, and so I think it's good to have options. And, you know, some people can't take THC, whether it's for health reasons or because of their job from random drug testing and things like that. And so I always like to see all the options on the table. I don't like to discriminate against things. It's important to know what's in the extract, how it's made, if you have to be worried about residual solvents, all of those things. But when it comes down to each person, it's like finding the one that works for you. And so so what are customers in Vermont really looking for right now, now that we're in the THC business? When people come to you, what are they generally looking for Korea to manufacture for them? Yeah, I think people are looking for a number of different things. I think they expect a high level of quality in general. So we have customers who want us to create finished products for them. And it's I think because it's a new market, people are really excited to get into multiple form factors. So they'll want to do pre-rolls and gummies and tinctures and just create a full set of products, mm-hmm. you know, to have a full line for their brand. Right. And I think there's definitely a focus, like we've been talking about, on really high quality extracts, especially live rosin, strain specific. And I've also seen quite a bit of interest in the botanical side as well, either adding in herbs that are grown in Vermont Mm -hmm. or um, creating really unique, bespoke formulas that capture something about many Vermonters' connection to the land. Mm -hmm. And I would say, in general, the overarching theme is that people just really want to make very high-quality, elevated products. I haven't seen anyone who's interested in just doing it down and dirty as cheap as possible to make a quick buck. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I guess I wasn't necessarily wondering about that. I was wondering, like, hey, are they looking for, you know, is it it gummies? Is it vape? Are they looking to add in those other botanicals? Um, Or is that something that actually you're bringing to the table as a company and and kind of informing people that those are options? Right. Are they looking to do cannabinoid ratios? Or are people really kind of starting with, like, you know what, let's just hit that five milligram gummy mark and start there? Or is it kind of coming with a little bit more of a sophisticated perspective from the get-go? Yeah, I would say it's definitely a more sophisticated perspective. We're seeing a lot of customers who want multiple cannabinoid targets Mm -hmm. in their products. It's a lot of gummies. People really want gummies. And I think that that's also because we have the capacity to do it. Right. And so, you know, as a new market, there aren't a lot of options out there for people who want to manufacture gummies, right. especially because it just it takes so much R&D, like we were talking about before. Yeah. So, Do you require minimums for folks? We do, yeah. yeah. Uh, and is that keeping some people out, or is it pretty 
obtainable for most folks. Yeah, we try to keep it low. I think probably the biggest hurdle for folks is getting a cannabis license. Right. Um, so, you, you know, you got to do that first because we don't do really any distribution. So you have to have at least a wholesale license to work with us. But, you know, I think that if people are serious about having a brand, they, they're they not going to bat an eye right. at our at the minimum minimums. orders. Right. Yeah. And so how do you provide differentiation in that gummy space? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I question. mean, how many, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there so many flavors you can work with. There's so many extracts you can work with. Right. How does a brand stand out? right now if you're doing a lot of the manufacturing in the state right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that it's mostly through flavor. Yeah. And some brands are choosing to highlight, you know, using all organic ingredients, natural colors, natural flavors, that kind of thing. So you can do that differentiation for them. You don't just have like one base recipe that you can like change the flavor and the cannabinoid content on. You can work with people with some of the ingredients that they're bringing to the table or... A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit, yeah. And some some customers are choosing to add in other inputs besides cannabinoids as well. Like other botanicals or active ingredients? Yeah, both basically. So like L-theanine or melatonin or, you know, making sleep gummies with CBN, which of course is cannabinoid, but... And are most of those done through the addition of a powder of uh-huh. some sort? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that just comes down t- for you to, like, making the texture not suffer because of that and making sure the flavor doesn't suffer because of that at the the ingredient levels that they're looking for. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we're just starting to get into that. And it, it hasn't been me as much doing the R&D for gummies. I'll make suggestions for inputs, mm-hmm. but it's... We have a lead gummy production person. Food scientist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, who's doing all of that. So I think that the extra ingredients or active inputs are a way to differentiate. Certainly flavor. We have, you know, a library of like, right. I think it's like 150 flavors. To play um, with. To right. play with. Yeah. People can play around with shapes too and order molds that are you know, different shapes or that have their Within brand reason, logo though, right? on them. I mean, Vermont yeah. doesn't allow like animal shapes and things like that. Oh, Is that true. correct? Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> just have to work with that constraint. Yes. Yeah. And so being an herbalist, where do the other botanicals come in and what are, what are some botanicals that you think work really well with cannabis specifically for the products that your company is making too? You know, so I think that would maybe be with the sublinguals or maybe mm-hmm. with the I know you're not doing it in the gummies yet, but you're looking to. Are there certain plants that you're going to really focus on, at least in the beginning, and, and why those plants? Yeah, great question. I I really love working with, it's, it's sort of constrained by what we have access to. Mm-hmm. So my favorite way to add botanicals to tinctures is with CO2 extracts. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, a lot of it depends on what's available, but I think that, one that I would like to see more of, both in gummies and tinctures, is Tulsi, because it makes a really lovely CO2 extract, and it's adaptogenic and complements the effects of cannabis mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. It's uplifting, but calming. Yeah. I think of cannabis as being a, in the adaptogenic yeah. category. It's one of its therapeutic effects. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So that, that one's a great one. Um, I think that I would also love to see 
more of the medicinal mushrooms Mm -hmm. in gummies Mm -hmm. because gummies offer us a unique opportunity to add in water-soluble ingredients that we can't use in the sublingual drops. Right, right. And so you can't really add reishi or lion's mane to a tincture because those beta-glucans are just never going to homogenize homogenize in the oil. Right. But you can add them to a gummy. Right. So I'm very excited for that yeah. and for adding adaptogens in general to gummies. Can you, know, you add them at levels that are have therapeutic benefit? I'm hoping we can. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that would be my question. So, Without making them taste or, or feel not so nice in your mouth. <laughs> right. Yeah. You have to – it gets a little complicated. It's going to require some R&D. You can buy powdered extracts. Right which then you're, it's more concentrated, so that helps. Like, you definitely wouldn't want to just grind up a mushroom and put it in, right. as you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You'd have no bioavailability whatsoever, right. and it would take up way too much space in the gummy. Yes. But I think there's an opportunity with powdered extracts. And so you've been operating on the THC side now for less than a year. I mean, I'm yeah. sure there was some R&D and stuff before that, before yeah. you took on your first client's. Now that you've got that experience under your belt, what is Korea going to do in the future here in terms of just like finding a, a focus? You know, are you expanding certain skill sets in order to meet the demands of the market? Or how are you looking to invest in 2023 and mm-hmm. beyond? Are you seeing that certain product lines maybe not going to focus on those so much and focus on these other ones because it's where the demand is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that we really are prioritizing our THC customers and the Vermont market Mm -hmm. over CBD. And there's just so much opportunity for growth, even with the customers we already have. And so I think our goal is to just continue to grow with our customers as the market grows and see where it takes us and just get better and better at what we're already doing. Nice. Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up with a personal question. It's something that I kind of want to do from now on when I have people on as a guest, um, because we're not just talking about cannabis mm. here on the podcast. We're talking about what I like to call integrative self-care. Mm. And so if the guest is, is willing to, I kind of would like to understand how you incorporate, whether it's cannabis or other plants, into your personal self-care routine or what you're doing right now. During this dynamic time, I've been there at the Mm. beginning of an industry where it's like so many things coming at you. It's really hard to take that time to take care of yourself. What are you doing right now to take care of yourself and are are plants part of it? Hmm. I really appreciate that question. (laughs) So I do take CBD, especially at night Mm -hmm. for sleep. I find that to be very helpful for myself. And then this isn't consuming plants Although I guess it kind of is, but I try to get outside and go for a walk in nature, usually in the woods, at least once a week. And I say consuming plants, you know, because you're breathing yes. the air. Yes. <laughs> or bathing. Like, it's a thing. Right. It's real. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it is. It's like, oh, gosh, I should probably explain myself. <laughs> I'm just like, not everyone's going to understand what that means. But definitely getting outside once a week in the woods. Yeah. And I've... For the last few months, basically since the start of the THC market opening up, I stopped drinking coffee in the morning and switched to brewing a quart of 
herbal tea with a little bit of yerba mate in it. Oh, nice. And so every morning I make a French press of herbal tea and I mix it up. And, you know, I, I still have my home apothecary mm-hmm. with all of my bulk dried herbs, many of which have come from my garden. Yeah. And so that's become a really lovely supportive routine for me yeah. to have calming, relaxing herbs mixed with a little bit of caffeine. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. That's how I start my day too, actually. You know, and the herbs change depending on where I'm at. But every morning I start with a plant infusion, you know, to get the day going. Yeah. It's been a game changer. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that I've preached to my clients for years and years and finally taking my own advice. And it's made a huge difference. Excellent. Good for you. I'm glad. Thank you. All right. Well, Emma... Thank you so much for being on the show today and just really kind of starting the conversation of what you do. We really just kind of touched on it. It's very complex and you get lots of product lines and I'm really looking forward to how you expand in the future and, and maybe having you come back on to talk about herbalism more specifically and maybe how to mix cannabis with uh, other plants for certain effects, kind of taking you out of your career role and just talk to you as an herbalist. So, oh, I would love that. Thank cool. you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Take care. All right, that'll do it for today's episode. And believe it or not, that's a wrap on season one. We will return in the back half of February with season two. We have a great lineup scheduled for you, so stay with us. Thanks go out to my creative crew at High Fidelity, Olaf Willoughby and Shane Lynn, and to the team at Syntax in Motion for producing this show. A special shout out to Will Davis, my sound engineer. Thanks to you for listening to us today. If you enjoy what you heard, subscribe on our website, hi5vt.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Better yet, like, share, rate, or leave a comment. You can request topics or interviews for our show by emailing us at bewell at hi5et.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, be well and have fun out there. Mm-hmm.